Hello, and welcome back to the Urology Care Podcast, the official podcast of the Urology Care Foundation. This podcast is part of the Bladder Cancer Caregivers Podcast Series, a series to help provide more understanding and guidance for people impacted by bladder cancer to include friends, family, and caregivers. Our guest today is Dr. Seymour Porton, a urologic oncologist at the University of California, San Francisco. The goal of this podcast is to help patients and caregivers establish a new connection and facilitate discussions between the caregiver, patients, and their physicians by providing both with tools to open a conversation for shared decision-making about diagnosis and therapy for bladder cancer. Dr. Porton, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Urology Care Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Can you start by introducing yourself for our listeners? Yeah, my name is Seema Porton. I'm a urologic oncologist at UCSF, and I primarily treat patients with urothelial cancer. Great. Well, welcome. So we're here to talk about bladder cancer. Can you first give a brief overview of bladder cancer, what symptoms people experience most often, and who is most affected by this type of cancer? So bladder cancer, which is also urothelial cancer, starts in the lining of the bladder itself. And when those cells go awry and rapidly divide, they can create an abnormal growth or tumor, or in most cases, this tumor is also a cancer. Approximately 80,000 people or so in the United States will develop bladder cancer. And primarily, this is a cancer of older people and of men. Although women can also develop bladder cancer, uh, however, this is a little less common. The main signs of bladder cancer are blood in the urine. We call that hematuria. And so that's when you go to uh, urinate, when you look in the toilet and you see bright blood or visible blood, this is a, uh, a very common sign of bladder cancer, especially if, you, there, if there is no pain associated with it. So we call that painless, gross hematuria. Sometimes urine's detected by your primary care physician or um, obstetrician and gynecologist or another um, kind of frontline medical provider when, when a urine dip is performed, and that's called microscopic hematuria. And in some cases, that can be a sign of bladder cancer. Occasionally, patients could have symptoms where they feel like it's very frequent and urgent, a need to go past urine. And this can be with or without pain. That can happen sometimes and can be a sign of bladder cancer, as can pain in the lower abdomen or back pain. Okay, thank you for that explanation. So what are some of the most common treatment options a person living with bladder cancer may be presented with? I think it's important to kind of discuss the two types of bladder cancers that we use to then determine what treatments patients are eligible for. And so there is a non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, which is more common. And so that's when the tumor that grows within the bladder does not get into the deep muscle. And then there's muscle invasive bladder cancer, which is a little less common. And that's when the cancer does spread into the deep muscle and has the potential to get to other areas of the body. And when we look at those two different types of bladder cancers, there's a variety of treatment options that are eligible, but in general, patients with muscle invasive bladder cancer get more intense treatment. 
every patient does get a TURVT or transurethral resection of a bladder tumor for the most part. And so that's when a small camera is put into the urethra. And so that's the opening that you urinate out of. And that little tiny camera also has some tools attached to it. And in this way, you can cut away that tumor. And this is diagnostic in that you get a sample that the pathologist can tell you what type of cancer you have, and also therapeutic in that it removes um, the tumor uh, the best to the, the doctor's ability. After that's completed, the different treatment options can be medications that you wash in the bladder, and we call that intravesical therapy. And that can be either immunotherapy with medications like BCG, which is one of the oldest immunotherapies that we use in bladder cancer, or chemotherapy. And so this is very similar to chemotherapy that you can get in your veins or systemic chemotherapy, but instead this is washed into the bladder. Another treatment option for bladder cancer, and this is mainly for patients with muscle invasive bladder cancer, although sometimes we use this therapy option for patients with non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, and that is bladder removal or cystectomy. And that is a surgery where we remove the whole bladder plus the nearby lymph nodes, and sometimes part of the urethra, the prostate in men, and maybe the uterus, ovaries, or fallopian tubes in women. And this treatment is, again, really common for muscle invasive bladder cancer. And after those organs are removed, uh, your surgeon will build another way for urine to be stored before leaving the body. You can also do a partial cystectomy. And so that's sometimes used in the treatment for bladder cancer, where you remove part of the bladder. And another option for patients is radiation. And again, this is used often with chemotherapy to kill cancer cells in patients with muscle invasive bladder cancer and is a way to preserve the bladder. And so we talk about bladder preservation as an option for patients. Another option, which I touched upon before, is when you use chemotherapy in the veins or systemically. And again, this is most often used in muscle invasive bladder cancer or if bladder cancer has spread to uh, lymph nodes or other organs. Great. Thank you for that incredible explanation of all of those treatment options. I'm sure patients and caregivers will find that incredibly helpful. So can you talk a little bit about genetic testing for bladder cancer and when that type of testing would be a good option for someone living with bladder cancer? So there's two types of genetic testing. So there's the genetic testing of the tumor that someone develops, and then there's genetic testing of your germline DNA. And so that's the DNA that you got from your parents and that was passed to you and that you can pass on down the road. So let's first talk about genetic testing of the tumor and when that is should be considered right for a patient or should be discussed with a, with a physician. In general, we use genetic testing of the tumor itself in more advanced bladder cancers. So this is used most often in patients with metastatic bladder cancer. And so that's when bladder cancer has spread beyond the bladder into lymph nodes and other organs. And the reason for this is that many of the specific drugs or new therapies that have been developed have been shown to work better if a specific tumor or if your tumor has a specific mutation. And so these are FGFR3. So that is the acronym for fibroblast growth receptor 3. The other types of mutations or alterations in tumors 
that may help your doctor decide what treatment options are available to you are DNA damage repair mutations, or they call it HRR mutations, can benefit from clinical trials with new agents. And patients with high tumor mutational burden may also benefit from clinical trials or treatment with uh, systemic immunotherapy. And those are the main reasons you would do a genetic testing on the tumor itself. Probably more recently, looking at the same mutations in someone's blood to see if there's what they call minimal residual disease, or if a patient is eligible for a specific kind of immunotherapy after bladder removal surgery is being investigated and is sort of a new exciting finding and a new avenue of research for the future. In looking at germline testing, so should you test your DNA to figure out if there was a chance that something in there accelerated or made you more likely to develop bladder cancer? And so then that way you can use that in terms of counseling for your children. We think about 15% of bladder cancer is actually due to a germline or a DNA mutation that was passed to you that you could pass down forward. And so when you look at genetic testing in that aspect, again, most of this has been done in patients with advanced bladder cancer or those with a family history of other cancers. So if you have a family history of colon cancer, endometrial cancer, in general, your doctor will talk to you about screening for something called Lynch syndrome. And so that is a germline mutation that is predominant in families and then can be passed on downward. And if you happen to have those germline alterations, it would be important for your family members to know so they can begin early screening. And so those are the different ways we think about genetic testing in bladder cancer. How can patients and caregivers become more informed about treatment options and deciding which option is best for them? I think that the internet is a powerful tool when used well. And so there are really great online resources and information out there. The Urology Care Foundation has an excellent link in terms of patient-targeted resources for how you kind of cope with a new diagnosis of bladder cancer, what treatment options are available to you, but also the other important part is how to talk to your doctor about this, what questions you should ask. The Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network here in the, in the U.S. or Beacon also has excellent resources for patients who are newly diagnosed and also resources for caregivers and is another place for online resource and support. They also have a peer support group and a, a peer navigation sort of group uh, that allows you con to connect with other bladder cancer patients who have been through the process and can sometimes be a nice sounding board. So both websites have reliable, robust information with really good guides that can help both patients and caregivers out. I also encourage people to talk to their physicians and doctors. Many have patients of their own who are willing to speak to other patients going through that process. And that can also be great because it's within the same system that you would be kind of moving through. And that can be really helpful in terms of things that you wish you had known or resources that are available. Most hospital systems and, and cancer centers also have their own set of resources from the American Cancer Society in terms of 
patient navigation and also other avenues of support and paper resources, online resources, and other things that you may have access to that I think are really important to explore. Can you go a little bit into detail about some of those questions that people with bladder cancer and their caregivers can prepare in advance of an appointment? I think some of them are basic questions. Talking to your doctor, what is the stage of my cancer? What kind of cancer do I have? And I think that helps a lot also with your own research online, right? It's important to know, are you a non-muscle invasive bladder cancer patient? And if so, what risk category are you in? And that helps you better able to sort through the vast amount of information on that internet and what's relevant for you. And conversely, it's important to know, am I, is my cancer a stage four? Or is it metastatic? And that would, that would guide you to different treatment options and different questions than someone who is not. So I think it's really important to get a very clear picture of those, I would say, basic questions because it's the start of a bigger discussion. I think the other aspect there is specifically asking your doctor, what treatment options are there for me? And that options has an S at the end of it, right? There are multiple in all these different stages. So it's important to talk about the different options and then also discuss with them, well, which one do you think is better for me and why? And then in that way, that opens up that conversation to how do you align goals for cancer treatment, but also your own personal values and goals when you're kind of navigating through this process, which can definitely be scary and be hard to kind of figure out. And so I think those are really important questions. There's going to be questions that may not be right for exactly your cancer type or stage. And so I think of also, again, the basic questions is, hey, is genetic testing right for me? And you can ask specifically, do I need to look at my own DNA, germline DNA, or would it be useful to look at my tumor DNA or blood or urine, right? And that can be that conversation of, okay, well, in later stage cancer, these are really important. In earlier stage cancer, not as important. However, we have this trial or there's this trial going on. So you can find out information about what is sort of advancing in, in the field, because that's sometimes nice to know for the future. Right. And, and I think you can separate questions in what is important for me now and what should I read about that might be important for me in the future. And I think um, the last one is, is there anything that I'm not asking that other patients have asked that you think is important? And I think that then allows that two way conversation of, you know, this is also a really important aspect like sexual function during and after treatment or long-term urinary function or pain management. Or another one that's often forgotten is coping or that emotional aspect of going through cancer and how you manage that and what resources there are available to help you cope. What advice do you have for those living with bladder cancer and their caregivers as they begin their bladder cancer journey together? I think the advice that I give my patients is to, I'm a big fan of writing things down. And so as things come to your mind, write down the questions, write down the things that are going through your head, take time and write down the things that are important to you that can help you make treatment decisions, right? That is within your values and, and your goals. 
And, and I think that can be really helpful in being able to then take that and, and have a really great conversation with your doctor in terms of figuring out what the right treatment options are available for you. Because those things that are important to um, patients are not, from a physician's perspective, always easy to know. Because you take uh, many times when you're talking to your patients, you end up focusing on things that you may think are important, but you miss something that's very important to a patient and their caregiver. So I think that writing things down is huge. I think that feeling empowered to do your own research and reading, particularly when you have clarity on what you should be looking up, right? So if you know your stage and the type of cancer you have, it's much easier to go and look and kind of read and process on your own and come back to your doctor with more questions. It is an iterative process. And so um, it sometimes does take a tiny bit of time to figure out exactly what treatment options are right for you. But I think that being curious and open-minded and also being an advocate for you is really important in the process. Really great advice. Thank you. And do you have any other final thoughts you would like people with bladder cancer or their caregivers to keep in mind? I would say that you can do it. You can get through this and still enjoy um, great joy in your life. And again, I was saying, keep an open mind. Think of your healthcare team and physician as a partner and keep that conversation going. Dr. Porton, thank you so much for this conversation on bladder cancer and for joining us on today's episode of the Urology Care Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is provided through the generous support of Sejin and Estellis. This podcast has been brought to you by the Urology Care Foundation, powered by trusted experts of the American Urological Association. For more information on today's topic, and for all things urology health, visit urologyhealth.org. That's urologyhealth.org.